We live in a time of great American peril. Our country is divided, and every day there is a new issue to be concerned about. I'm Patrick Robles, and welcome to Robles Speaks. This is a podcast where we dissect today's issues, talk to the folks on the front lines, and give you my take on the whole thing. On today's episode, we will be discussing the current state of Latino elected officials in the United States of America and why representation and identity matters when you are an elected official. Let's have a conversation. Despite being the nation's largest minority group, Latinos are still largely underrepresented in politics. They're almost a fifth of the population, but make up only 1.2% of all elected and appointed officials in the United States. Nationally, there are an estimated 58.9 million Latinos, making up about 18.1% of the U.S. population and accounting for the nation's second largest ethnic group after whites. Yet only about 6,700 elected officials are Latino. According to a 2018 analysis by the National Association of Latino Elected and appointed officials, or NALEO, that amounts to a political representation rate of 1.2% in local, state, and federal elected offices. But ahead of the 2020 presidential elections, Latinos across the U.S. have rallied against policies and rhetoric they feel that target their community and are working to build momentum. Political activists are recruiting Latinx candidates to run in local and federal contests and aiming to win. However, I got the chance to speak to one former Latina elected official who was in office in a time when there was an even scarce number of elected officials who were a Latino in the United States. Jennifer Ekstrom was the youngest elected Latina mayor of the city of South Tucson. Jennifer, how are you today? I'm doing really well. Thank you, Patrick. How are you? I'm doing all right. Trying to stay optimistic. Same, but we all got to be happy, optimistic, and just wish for the best. Absolutely. Now, for the record, uh, what offices have you held before? Uh, So at age 18, I was elected to the South Tucson City Council, and um, I did that for 18 years, and 10 of those years, I was the mayor of South Tucson. Wow, that's incredible. And so... Now you're the chief of staff for Supervisor Valadez? Yes, but I held that post um, in conjunction with being on the city council and as mayor as well. Impressive. Um, So South Tucson was the area that you represented as mayor. And they have a large Hispanic slash Latino population. And it's to my understanding you were born and raised there. Yes and you are a Latina, you're a woman of color. Why was it important that you serve? Well, that's a a long answer for me. Um, Ever since I was young, my parents instilled in me the belief that you had to give back to your community. Uh, So my mom and dad were always in the midst of things, helping people, raising money for organizations, and my brother and I just followed suit. So I would say like one of my earliest memories is probably at the age of three or four. And um, my dad 
along with the Pascoyaki community, hosted this big Christmas party for kids in the community. And I remember being there, helping give gifts and food away to kids who couldn't, who would otherwise not have a present for Christmas. So I think that stayed with me and it still stays with me for, you know, in my heart and realizing that the little things that we do are, are big things for people. And so, you know, I just was always a part of the community, always doing something to help people. And this was just kind of like a natural, natural step. But being 18, uh, that's a whole other story and a whole other ball game to be frank with you. When you're 18 years old, um, you don't have a lot of life experience, but I felt that I did. And I felt that I had the credentials to, to be that council member. So did you often see yourself in the people that you served, whether that was going to schools to talk to the young folks? I mean, tell me a little bit about that. Uh, that's, that was one of my favorite things, was talking to um, the kids at the J John Bonswell Youth Center, the JBYC. Um, they they, they want to look up to somebody that looks like them. They want to look up to somebody who's young like them. And I remember one time um, I was there speaking with um, the youth leadership there, and we were talking about alcohol and drugs and, you know, we're just giving them a pep talk on how that doesn't, you don't need to turn to alcohol and drugs. There's other things that, that you can do to, you know, pass the time. I think in a lot of lower income communities, there's, there's more of a access to that for younger kids. And so I, I just think um, that John Valenzuela Youth Center being, being in our community is important. But speaking to those kids, I said, you can ask me anything you want and I'll tell you the truth. And a lot of kids don't hear that from adults. And I think I gained their trust with, with that one discussion. Absolutely. So, you know, do you believe that it's important for an elected official to look like the population that they're serving? I do. Uh, I think we have to get women of color to run for office and to win those offices. I think it's important for kids to see themselves in their elected officials. I know that when President Barack Obama was elected, that was a big thing because a lot of African Americans saw themselves in, in, in President Obama and that made a difference. And I think even the first Latina mayor in Tucson, that's a big deal. You know, little girls want to see uh, older, older women in leadership positions because they want to feel like that's something that they can do when they get older. So of course, I think that's, that's a big thing and I think it's important. Thank you. And, and so you said you, you, served, you served as mayor for 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, when you were serving, what was the hardest decision that you had to make and why? Gosh, there's, there's a lot of hard decisions. Being in a 1.2 square mile city uh, and not really being able to expand your boundaries and, and to get that, um, that tax base for, for your community is hard. So budget was, was always tough. Um, I, I think we did our best to uh, make sure that we had enough police and fire. Uh, another thing was that 
there was a rumor that Walmart wanted to come into South Tucson. Um, and, and that was a hard decision because at that time we were discussing a bid box ordinance in South Tucson and a, a lot of people didn't understand why we wanted to do that. We, you know, you want the Walmart tax base, you want that for, for your budget and, and to make money for the city. Sure, but not on the backs of our residents. Um, I understand uh, that they'd be giving jobs, but that doesn't mean that they would be giving, getting a fair wage. That didn't mean that they would be getting healthcare. Uh, it could shutter the mom and pop stores in South Tucson that have been there for a long time. And I just didn't see that as a positive thing. Did that ever come to fruition? No, Walmart never really approached the city, but we did get that big box ordinance in. And it didn't mean that we weren't ever going to talk about having one come into South Tucson. It's just, we wanted them to come in on our terms. And I think that was important. And that was a tough decision because a lot of people were, were against that and against me, but I had the backing of unions and a lot of people uh, and a lot of brothers, union brothers and sisters. And, and that was important to me, but I feel like that was a tough decision, but it, I think we came out the other end of that and we did pass that ordinance uh, in South Tucson. Right, so you understood that, you know, coming from a community of, that has a low socioeconomic status, you understood mm -hmm. that it was important to take care of the local businesses that were already there. Correct. The, and, and there's a lot of mom and pop stores there too, but we also had like Walgreens and um, the first food city that was ever built from the ground up. Uh, was in South Tucson. Now a lot of people were like, oh, but you know, you want Food City in there. Uh, what about that? Well, Food City was the only grocery store that wanted to come into South Tucson for a long time. And of course, I was loyal to that. So, um, and nowadays, you know, we're dealing with COVID-19. Um, do you also find yourself concerned about how the government is reaching out to folks in South Tucson and those who are non-English speaking speakers? You know, I left South Tucson when I got married and um, that was one of the hardest things that I've ever had to do. But in turn, you know, I have a family which is great and I would never change that. But I always think about where I grew up, where my dad lives. And of course, that is always in the front of my mind. Uh, as the chief of staff to Supervisor Valadez, uh, we represent that area. And that's something that I'm always thinking about. Uh, those residents, those people who don't have access to food, uh, who's only, you know, who only can go to the store a couple times, you know, maybe a month. I'm worried about I'm worried about that and making sure that they have they know the proper precautions to take. Uh, they understand that we are in a pandemic and they need to stay safe. So I'm I'm always thinking about that. Um, I think right now um, the mayor there understands he's working with the county government and I think right now they're doing the best that they can do to provide um, access to information and to food. And I think that's really important. You believe there's much more work to do to make sure there's more Latino, Latina, or Latinx is the term that they use now. Do we need to see more Latinx I, politicians? 
I do. I, I think that it's important. We are slow, we are quickly becoming the, you know, number one peoples in our nation. And I think that if we want to see change, that we have to be the ones to go out there, run and do it. Um, so I, I just think that people need that, that Latinas, Latinos, Latinx folks, I think they all need to realize that we play an important part in our community. And if they want to see a change, they need to go out there and, and make that change. Is that more important now more than ever? Uh, because we're in a time where we have Donald Trump as president? Yes. I think if we want to see um, our communities thrive and flourish, we need to see people like us uh, take the leadership roles and, and do that. Um, because right now we have a president who doesn't care what happens to uh, people who are poor, to be quite honest with you. Absolutely. Jennifer Ekstrom, thank you. Thank you, Patrick. You know, I have just got to say that the interview with Mayor Jennifer Ekstrom sparked a few thoughts in me. And that's recognizing that, you know, when you are of an ethnicity that is not white, it is important to use your culture as a strength. As a young councilwoman, she would go speak to schools and identify with those young folks she would speak to. And those young folks would identify with her. That's important. That's how you have the most impact when you speak to somebody. When she was making that hard decision whether to bring Walmart into the city of South Tucson, she decided not to, to protect the union workers, the mom-and-pop shops in the city of South Tucson, many of whom are Latino business owners. It all ties together. Somebody using their culture as a strength is able to empathize. You have cases, and no pun intended when I say cases, but you have cases like Justice Sonia Sotomayor, the first woman of color, the first person of Latino descent to serve on that bench, has inspired many law students to seek a career in law. For instance, a Teen Vogue article discusses the story of Liliana Romero. She's a 24-year-old immigration law student. Before Justice Sotomayor joined the court, Romero was very uncertain about attending law school. But after seeing another Latina woman become a justice, her decision to pursue a law degree was all but certain. We're seeing a much bigger cultural consciousness amongst Latinx individuals. You see folks praising Justice Sotomayor or former Housing and Urban Development Secretary Julian Castro, who ran for president this year. Julian Castro was the first mainstream candidate who was Mexican-American to run for president for a major party's nomination. As a member of the United States Congress, and the other would be standing with you here today to say these words I am a candidate for President of the United States of America.
He used his culture to highlight such issues as immigration, the child detention centers along the border. He certainly made the news cycle when doing so because he certainly could relate to the folks who also were Mexican-Americans, Mexican in some cases, or from Latin America in some cases. In the book Yolki, written by Dr. Roberto Saintly Rodriguez, we learn about police violence and how a lot of it is systemic. One particular story that resonates with me is the story of Jose Mendez. Jose Mendez reportedly stole a car and brandished a shotgun. He was told to get off the car but did not listen. This is all according to the Los Angeles Police Department. Mendez was shot 19 times on the left side of his body. Keep in mind this was in a time that body cams were beginning to be utilized by LAPD. Coincidentally, body cams were turned off by the officers involved in the shooting. After Mendez was killed, the officers began dragging him about 30 feet from his car and handcuffing him. Police stood over his body for about 10 minutes and no aid was ever given. Jose Mendez's story is one of many stories when it comes to police violence in America. Former Housing Secretary Julian Castro, who was a candidate for the 2020 Presidential Democratic nominee, nomination, listed out a number of proposals that had to do with making a positive impact for Latinx individuals all across the United States of America. Many of his proposals included tackling gun violence and including what he included in addressing gun violence was addressing violence by police, specifically against people of color. Castro brought up the importance of racial and economic justice throughout the democratic debates. Our economic justice agenda, is that enough to mobilize Latino voters to stand with the Democratic Party in a big way? Uh, well, I also think that we have to recognize racial and social justice. And, you know, I was in Charleston not too long ago, and I remembered that uh, Dylan Roof went to the Mother Emanuel AME Church, and he murdered nine people who were worshiping, and then he was apprehended by police without incident. Well, but what about Eric Garner and Tamir Rice and Laquan McDonald and Sandra Bland and Pamela Turner and Antonio Arce? I'm proud that I'm the only candidate so far that has put forward legislation that would reform our policing system in America and make sure that no matter what the color of your skin is, that you're treated the same, including Latinos who are mistreated too oftentimes by police. If he was not Latino, these topics would not be talked about. The former mayor of San Antonio said it was uncommon to hear gunshots in his neighborhood while growing up in the city. It's the experiences of being a Latino, Latina, Latinx, however you identify, that can be used as strengths when you are running to govern or in a position of power. Let's look at the numbers. Wait, so we 
There are 6,700 plus Latino elected officials in the United States. 27.8 million Latinos are, were eligible to vote in 2016. Currently, there are 42 members of Congress who identify as Latino. And by right around this time, we're expected to become the largest ethnic minority voting group to be eligible to vote in a presidential election. This is according to a study of the 2020 electorate released earlier this year by the Pew Research Center. In all, 32 million Latinos will be eligible to vote compared with 30 million voters who are black. Now, this this um, this data sparks some thoughts in me. Now let's look back at the contested primary between Senator Bernie Sanders and Vice President Joe Biden. When you looked at the demographics of voters, African-American voters tended to back Vice President Biden, while many Latino, Latino voters tended to back Senator Sanders. This was the first time where you had you know, Hispanics, or I should be saying Latino, who outnumbered black voters at times. This is all according to Naleo. When it comes to the question of why representation matters, it's because when you don't have your culture being represented, you don't have such policy proposals like Secretary Castro going out of the mainstream when it comes to addressing gun violence. You don't have enough Mayor Ekstroms who are making decisions in the best interest of her people because she identifies with those people because she grew up and she is of those people's culture. You don't have such folks as Miss Romero who decided to go to law school because of Justice Sotomayor. You see, when you have more representation, you create an army of more folks creating more representation eventually making it a norm to see such cultural anomalies in the mainstream. But for now, I want to thank you for joining the conversation here on Robles Speaks.